Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. We're going to be moving through topics extremely quickly. A lot of stuff coming up. By the way, by the way, I hope you had a happy and blessed Easter. Um, we certainly were rewarded for the long winter with just a, a great Easter day, and I hope you enjoyed it and remembered, you know, again, what Easter's about. It's obviously an opportunity to get together with family and friends, but once again, for those of us who are practicing Christians, it is the holiest day of the year, wrapping up Holy Week, which brings me to the first topic, and I know... Um, on the morning show, both uh, Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt weighed in on this issue, and this is how we're going to start off. If you haven't been following it, Robert Mueller, who is, of course, the special counsel, just finished his report, got a lot of attention last week. He has been, as he has been throughout the entire procedure, he, he hasn't been doing interviews. I mean, uh, Mueller's philosophy, unlike other special counsels, has been... I'm just going to let this all go. I mean, my, my work will speak for itself. I'm not going to do interviews, etc., etc. Well, that was not enough for N- MSNBC. MSNBC apparently got the word that he, this would be Mueller, would be attending Easter services at St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. So what they did is they staked out the church parking lot. So after Easter services, they're in the parking lot. Uh, Mueller and his wife come out, and they're coming out of the church, and there's MSNBC, and there's one of the reporters. Is it Mike um, Vaccara? Um, they're, they're waiting for him, and he's coming out of the church, and what they do is they run and they stick a microphone in his face as he's trying to get to the car. And it's sort of like your own version of a perp walk, maybe, you know, if you've been arrested. So you got this MSNBC reporter with the microphone in his face, and he's asking him a series of questions. And the guy says, no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. And ultimately, you know, he ends up getting in the car and driving off. When MSNBC runs this footage later on, they're the reporter and the anchor. They're laughing about this. <laughs> you know, we, we confronted him, but... You know, he wasn't having anything to say. <laughs> All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, earlier this morning, there was a split of opinion between Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstad about whether this reporter went too far, whether it's appropriate to, I don't know, confront somebody as they're coming out of church on Easter Sunday, stick a microphone in their face and ask them a series of questions when they clearly have no intention of answering. Our number, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was this an appropriate journalistic tactic? And as a matter of fact, should all the other networks and all the other newspapers, should they be kicking themselves that they didn't have the... I don't know, foresight to say, let's stake out the church where Mueller goes so we can confront him in the parking lot on Easter. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
My take on this, I won't make you wait. What a bottom-feeding lowlife this NBC reporter is. Look, I... I, I understand that reporters have their jobs to do, and I get sometimes that you have, I don't know, you know, public figures that are ducking you. But for God's sake, this was after church on Easter Sunday, and you have this low-life reporter waiting for him with a TV camera to kind of spring on him. 414-799-1620. I think this was despicable, and I, I think... I mean, I, if, if this is now, I mean, I, I guess maybe this is the MSNBC standard, and this is how we do things. To me, it says a lot that you had other news outlets, other networks, other newspapers who decided that we are not going to be this pond scum bottom feeders that confront the guy as he is coming out of church. If you wanted to do requests for interviews, I, I think that's fine. You know he's going to say no. But to stake him out on Easter Sunday, hoping that he's going to say something, I think is nothing short of appalling. And and candidly, if this is the standard for journalism nowadays, we're in a heck of a mess. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff, and uh, happy belated Easter. Same to you, sir. Um, yeah, I was listening earlier when uh, when uh, Steve had this on, and I was I wanted to call in. And uh, yeah, Eric should be taken out in the parking lot and beaten with. Well, I, I, I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about Eric and Steve. They have their opinions, but tell me what you think about this. I agree with you one hundred percent. There's no way you should be pestering someone. I don't care who it is. I am about as conservative and as Republican as it comes, and I don't think you should be going up to Tony uh, Evers on a Sunday, any Sunday, let alone Right, he's coming and, out of church, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, busting him out of church and asking him why he promised not to raise taxes right. and now wants to raise taxes by $2 billion. Right, well, I mean, I guess I mean, here, right, well, here's my question. Well, I mean, here, here's my question. Are there no standards? Let's say instead of going to church on Easter Sunday, let's say that a, a friend or acquaintance or former colleague of Robert Mueller's passed away over the weekend, and tomorrow he's attending the funeral. So he's going to the funeral. I mean, is it fair game for MSNBC to stake out, all right, the funeral services is at, as a church. Let's wait for him to come out of the funeral and let's stick uh, cameras in his face. Would, would that yeah. be okay? You know? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, these are public officials. You want to talk to them? Schedule a news conference. Ask him if he wants to go on camera. Whatever. You don't hide out at their house. You don't do anything. I mean, you're trying to, you know, get a comment from a mobster who's never going to talk to you and hang outside his house. Right. Okay, fine. But right. not public officials. I, no, thanks. So I, I agree with you. Th- this was all, it kind of reminded me of, of sort of like, again, it's kind of like the perp walk. I mean, I understand, you know, Michael Cohn gets indicted. You know, he's being brought in in handcuffs. I get the fact Michael Cohen or, or Roger Stone or whatever, I get the fact that you're going to have the media there. They're going to be screaming for comments. But, hey, Robert Mueller hasn't been indicted. He's a public official who's completed his job. Now, I don't know. I, I have to admit it's coming out of a church on Easter Sunday. Maybe given what Easter means for a lot of us, that's something that, that hits that hits me hard. If, if you were saying, gosh, he's coming out of a Starbucks and you find him and you want to go up and you want to do interviews, all right, maybe I'm more willing to discuss that as to whether that's appropriate or not or he's leaving his office for lunch or something. Okay, maybe that's a different thing. But this was they staked out a church parking lot on Easter Sunday, for goodness sakes. 
414-799-1620. Debbie in Jackson. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I Hi. agree with you entirely. I think as a public figure, you know that you're going to have a limited amount of privacy. However, there are just certain things that are off limits. And then... Everybody wonders why we're not civil anymore in the society. And they wonder why people hate the news media. <laughs> you know, the yeah. Reporters wonder, gee, why Why does the general public hold us in such disdain? Well, this this is exhibit one of that. Yeah. I mean, exactly. uh, let's go back to the example I was giving with the previous caller, Debbie. I mean, would for those who would defend this, would it be appropriate to stake out a funeral? Oh, my gosh. His, his former secretary passed away last Thursday. The funeral is on Tuesday. We know he's going to be attending. Let's set up our cameras in the parking lot of the funeral. Would, would, would anybody argue that that would be okay? I don't. I would hope not. I, I think common sense tells you there are certain situations that are not okay. Um, on the other hand, public figure, yeah, you're coming out of Starbucks. You probably can expect that someone may ask you a question. But it's just, right. like I said, it's just civility, uh, human, right. you know, being a human being. Well, well it is. No, thanks for calling. See, and I guess here, here's the thing. I'm getting some texts saying, well, Jeff, I mean, wake up. There, there's, there's the paparazzi. They, they chased they chased Princess Diana. You know, that probably, I think, that, that car chase led to her death. Oh, okay, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not defending that type of behavior at all. But what's interesting about this is, are we now going to say that in this anything goes, we got to get the story, and then we're going to yuck it up world, that, okay, does this now mean that MSNBC and ABC and Fox News and CBS and all of them, is this what we're now going to equate them to, the paparazzi that are hanging out on a street waiting to see if, gee, uh, Yoko Ono's, John Lennon's just been shot, let's see if we can get some pictures of Yoko Ono as she comes out of the apartment building so we can sell them to the tabloids. Okay, is this now what journalism has become in America in 2019, essentially that the major news networks are now the functional equivalent of the bottom-feeding paparazzi who would chase somebody like a Princess Diana. 414-799-1620. Larry in Germantown. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Larry. You know, it's it's really bothersome to me. This was just totally out of place. But you know, it seems that it was not out of place from the viewpoint of the people from the, the news agency. Mm-hmm. So they seem to think that when, say, any political figure is out in public, he's fair game mm-hmm. or she's fair game. And yeah, because he might say something. Well, this he, he this might have said private. something. Yeah. This is very private. It's between you and God, yeah. uh, unless the other person doesn't think there is a God. Well, I mean, he. I mean, thanks. I mean, he. he look, I mean, he wasn't in church, so it's not like they took the cameras in. There, but he was coming out of church on on Easter Sunday, and they they had staked him out with the idea of let's surprise this guy and let's see if we can get him to talk. And then when he says no comment, let's follow him. Let's follow him to his car, asking him a series of questions one after another. I mean, like I say, this is for people who wonder, people in the media who wonder why so many people in the general public, and this isn't a conservative, a liberal issue. This isn't a right versus left 
This isn't a religious versus agnostic or non-believers. This is just, in my opinion, it's a function of right and wrong. And for people who claim to be journalists who wonder why they are held in low regard by the general public, it's because of bottom-feeding tactics like this. And if the justification is, well, he, he might talk and we might get the story, Okay, wonderful, all right, but does that mean there are now no norms at all that are out there? And and candidly, this is one of the areas, and you see this a lot of times in the media. It's the people who, all right, uh, somebody's spouse has just died in a car crash. Go knock on the door of the grieving widow and ask what they think. Huh, okay, yeah, good, good. Like, let's see, all we want to do is we because the grieving widow might say something or she might break down on TV and then we can put it on the 6 o'clock news or let's stake this guy out in the parking lot after Easter and he might say something and even when he says no comment, let's just follow him and let's follow him and let's follow him. I, I did not think it was a particular highlight for the mainstream media yesterday. Am I surprised? No. But the closer we get to blurring, blurring the line between the paparazzi and the mainstream media, the more the mainstream media or reporters who do stuff like this, I think, find themselves in, if they wonder why they're held in low regard, this is example number one. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I mentioned this uh, during our, our, our handoff a couple minutes ago. For people who do not know, this is today is Earth Day, and today is well, it's the the I guess the 49th anniversary of Earth Day. I believe this would be the 50th consecutive Earth Day because uh, Earth Day was April 22nd in 1970. Now, interestingly enough, Sigru, I who's producing the show today, and always I'm old enough to remember the first Earth Day. I mean, that was it was kind of this big deal, and I would have been. I don't know. I want to say it was maybe like in sixth grade or something like that, maybe seventh grade, something. And I remember, I mean, Earth Day, the first Earth Day in 1970, they estimated that there were like 20 million people who took to the streets and the parks to demonstrate for a healthy, sustainable environment. Interestingly, back then, and this is, of course, before Al Gore invented the Internet and came out with an inconvenient truth, Earth Day really wasn't wasn't political in the early stages. Now, that might be a little bit naive, but it it, it was, I mean, people, because look, the bottom line is everybody, I think, wants clean air and everybody wants clean water and everybody wants, I mean, again, to, to have the earth be sustainable and things like that. Earth Day, one of the founders was Gaylord Nelson. He was actually the driving force behind it. Gaylord Nelson was a senator from Wisconsin. And what motivated the first Earth Day was a massive oil spill that had occurred the, the year before. It occurred in January and February of 1969 um, off of off of the coast of California, Santa Barbara. It, it still to this day remains the third largest oil spill behind the Exxon Valdez oil spill and the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. But um, at the time, you know, people just didn't understand what could happen when a pipeline ruptures and things like that. And the first Earth Day was this idea to try to call attention to the environment. And and like I say, it wasn't particularly a political issue then. What's happened, unfortunately, over the last 40 years or so, 40 to 50 years, is that the, the, the environment as I think, you know, concerns about the environment have been weaponized for the political, for political purposes. I mean, we, we 
like when people ask me about climate change or global warming, I, I've always responded that you know we have more people now than ever living in this world. Um, you have com- you have a number of countries, particularly China and India, which are switching over. They're becoming industrialized, so they, they need more energy, and so you have more reliance on fossil fuels. And it only makes sense to me that the more fossil fuels you have, you know, the more pollution you have. So I mean, I, I I've for example never been a climate change denier. The question becomes, you know, what does this mean, and what do you end up doing with it? But in, I guess, after thinking about 50 years of Earth Days, maybe it would be good moving forward if we could kind of take the politics out of it, and if the left could decide not to weaponize it, and the right could decide not to demonize the people, you know, who are pushing for it, and everybody could come together and say, we, we need to find a balancing act. I mean, the reality is, it's not reasonable Green New Deal people to say that we're not going to fly in airplanes. It's not reasonable to say that, you know, we're going to what heat your home with firewood. But of course, that's going to pollute as well. It's not reasonable to say that in Wisconsin, all right, in the winter, keep your home at 52 degrees all day. Those, those aren't reasonable responses to perhaps legitimate concerns about, you know, where we're going to get sustainable energy over the course of the next several decades and all. I think everybody should agree that we, we want we want a clean environment. We want clean water. We want clean air. And maybe if we all just kind of listen to each other a little bit more, we'd be able to get closer to that goal. And that's kind of my message in the spirit of Earth Day going back to 1970. A homeowner called our office and said, the pictures on your website are beautiful, but I have a simple home, so I can't justify one of your fancy metal roofs. Do you have a budget roof? I felt terrible. Hi, this is Jack from Metal Roofing Systems. I asked him to look a little closer at the pictures. Most of the homes in our online gallery are very modest homes that just happen to look beautiful. Our customers are regular folks just like you, but simply chose a permanent alternative to the age-old tradition of tearing off and redoing their roof every decade or so. They're also enjoying what has come to be known in our office as the wow factor. That's what happens to homeowners when they see the incredible transformation our beautiful roof makes to their home. To see if a permanent roof might be right for you, call Carrie today, toll-free, at 855-678-ROOF. To see how the metal roofing system's wow factor might look on your home, see our online gallery at BeautifulRoofs.com. We want to be your home's last roofer. And remember, BeautifulRoofs.com. Thank you. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. For the the Democrat Party in the 2020 presidential nominating campaign, there's really, I think there's two camps. There is the more mainstream, which I would say traditional center-left camp. That's what got Bill Clinton elected president. I mean, it's that that Clinton coalition of, you know, we are going to be moderate Democrats, and we're not going to talk about completely upending the capitalistic society and things like that. And, and, and yeah, we're left-leaning, but we're not going to be kind of out to the, the kook fringe. Then you have the what I will describe as the new breed of Democrat. Don't send me emails saying, well, what about the Republicans? I understand the Republicans are the same way. You've got moderate, you've got center-right Republicans, and then you've got people who are on the far right. All right, so then you've got the far left of the Democrat Party, and, and this is the, the Green New Deal folks, the let's ground all the airplanes. It's the let, let's go to you know a, a single-payer health care system. Let's 
outlaw the private insurance industry. It, it's that type of stuff. It's let's guarantee income for all, etc., etc. And you have a number of candidates who, in an effort to try to get noticed in a crowded Democrat field, are rushing as far as they can to the left, which brings us to Elizabeth Warren, who interestingly was one of the first people to announce for president, but she doesn't appear to be getting a lot of traction. So she's, I think, trying to stand out in the field by coming out with different proposals. And um, just in the last day or so, here's her latest proposal. If you have student loan debt, Elizabeth Warren would just get do away with it. Now, you might say, how, how, do you just, how do you completely do away with it? Well, it would be that the government would agree to pay your student loan debt. And how much the government paid would be dependent on how much you earned. So, for example, if your household income was under $100,000, you would be eligible for... Um, $50,000 in debt forgiveness, $50,000 in student loan debt forgiveness, if you come from a household that makes $100,000 or less. And so that's per person. So let's say husband and a wife, you're both out of school two years and you've both got, I don't know, $60,000 in college debt, student loan debt, you would each be eligible to have $50,000 of that just wiped away. And again, by wiped away, we mean the government paying to make it go away. If you make, and then once you hit $100,000, what happens is the the amount of debt relief you get would would dwindle for like every three dollars in income you have above it. So at the end of the day, if you made two hundred fifty thousand dollars more, you get no debt relief. But starts out you get fifty thousand dollars, and then you get more, but not as much as you would otherwise get. So that's the idea. Now you might say, well, Jeff, this sounds great. It sounds great. You know what? Wouldn't you love to have your student debt go away? How, who's going to pay for this? Well, the estimate is that this would cost. trillion over the next 10 years. $1.25 trillion. And how are we going to pay for that? Well, what we're going to do is we are going to have a tax. We're going to start with a tax on the ultra-millionaires, um, by label, leveling a tax on their wealth, not on their income, but on their wealth. And then we're going to bring this down and we're going to lower it. So essentially the wealthy people would start paying a tax in order to make sure that Cruz student loan goes away. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this has this kind of superficial appeal. Well, wouldn't it be nice to get out of school? And yeah, you, you've got this crippling student debt, and you took out these agreements, and you promised to pay fifty and sixty thousand dollars, and now the government's just going to magically make this all go away. Who could not be in favor of it? Well, I'm not in favor of it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. When we come back, I will explain why. But what about this idea? Let's tax the wealthy. And let's use that money to eliminate people's student debt. 414-799-1620. Good idea, bad idea. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
We're back. So glad to have you with us. Uh, just a couple people text and say, well, Jeff, you have to understand, if, if you forgive student loan debt, that would be counted as income for the people who get the benefit of it, and then they'd have to pay taxes on it. So they would have to pay. No, actually, under Elizabeth Warren's plan, that's not the case. She's very clear that debt cancellation would not be taxed as income. So, you know, if you owe seventy-five, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 for college, this is just a government-paid-for gift to you. Of course, it's not the government that's paying for it. It is other taxpayers. Here's a text. Jeff, of course you don't like forgiving student loans because it doesn't benefit you. If you had student loans or kids with them, you would be in favor of it. Well, I had student loans. I mean, what? This is it. Why, why are we Why are we limiting it to people who have current student loans? I mean, what about all the other people out there who took out student loans to pursue their education? I mean, why and have now paid them back or paid them down, why do we just do it for the people who still have outstanding student loans? I mean, yeah, I, why, why not me? It's been a long time since I paid off my student loans, but why, why shouldn't I? If the government is going to do this, I mean, I could certainly use that money back that I took out in student loans, 414-799-1620. Luann in Racine. Luann, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Thank you for listening to me, but I'm surprised... What- I don't understand is I took another job so that I could help pay for my kids going to college as well as the fact that they worked. So why should mm-hmm. somebody get a free ride? If they obligate themselves to, what are we teaching them? Oh. If they obligate themselves to loans that they should pay back and then tell them, oh, that's okay, we'll just give it to you. Well, well, right. And, and by the way, then, Luann, why, why should your kids work? I mean, why, why would yeah. anybody work to put themselves through college? It's here. Just we're, we're talking a freebie. I mean, yeah, I mean, the people that work, they're, they're the chumps. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. Or, or yeah, I mean, they're, they're the chumps because we've got Elizabeth Warren out there and, and she's got this giant cash train out there. And we're, we're just going to go after those wealthy people who don't need all that money anyhow. And we're going to give it to the, the people. I mean, look, I guess, see, I'm just kind of, I'm with you. It, We're it not is, teaching them anything. We're not teaching them responsibility. We're not teaching them respect for the system. We're not teaching them that if you take out a loan for something or borrow something, you have to return it. So you're yeah. not teaching them anything. We went, we did, we worked an extra job. We didn't go on extravagant vacations. We didn't buy a new car. My kids didn't have loans when they got out of school yep. and when they went to work. And I mean, they helped too. But, you know, it's my obligation as a parent to educate my mm-hmm. child, not the rest of the country. Well, and, and Luann, why are we limiting it to student loans? I mean, how, how about just mortgage debt? I mean, why? why oh, yeah, why, I'd uh, like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, can, can we see a show here? here the, you know, I mean, I mean, mortgage debt is limiting people. I mean, should we just have the government pay off everybody's mortgage? Let's let's find those wealthy people who don't need the money and let's take it from them. No, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, look, I, I understand that, that student, I understand that, that rising college costs are a huge issue. You know, one of the side problems of this is if you essentially let the government pay for this, there's going to be no incentive at all for schools to try to rein in tuition costs. I mean, that's one of, and there's many factors, but one of the reasons we've gotten to the student debt crisis we're at now is that the schools have just, they've charged anything. And of course, the kids are like, well, okay, I, I, I want to do this. And, and nobody has the foresight to really think, okay, I, my undergraduate degree, I've gotten this, I can't get a job in my chosen field, so I'm just kind of hanging out. I know what I'll do. I'll borrow an extra $120,000 to go to law school, and then I'll come out, and I'll really be in debt. But don't worry. You've got Elizabeth Warren who's out there to try to help you out. 414-799-1620. Steve and Dousman. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, thanks for taking my call. 
I was a little bit upset of hearing this because, like, I worked my way through college. My wife worked her way through college. We still have some type of debt, but mm-hmm. we worked a couple jobs to pay, pay that off, and then I mm-hmm. put my kids through college. They had to work to pay part of it, but I paid the rest because I didn't want them in debt. So, I mean, yeah, I'm saying... Do I get a reimbursement too, or a rebate? Or <laughs> why not? I mean, right? I mean, well, seriously. I mean, why should why should somebody who's graduated, and if we're going to do this, why should somebody who's graduated in the last five or ten years and might have outstanding loans, why should we pay be paying off their debt? My my guess is, you know, you could use that money, Steve. I know I should. Like I said, it's been a long time since I went to school, but I I could I could use that money. You know, I, I well, yeah, we, right. And my kids are setting up at Vest in Wisconsin to pay for their kids. <laughs> we don't want to have that. And well, oh my God. Well, no, right? No, thanks. Exactly. I mean, that, that's you know, it's interesting. I was, I was looking this morning because I I put away a little bit of money for you know every year in Edvest accounts for my my nephew and my nieces in college, and you know I made a commitment that we were going to kind of help pay for her college education and beyond. And now I've got four grandchildren, and you know I, I put a little bit of money aside. I was actually I was actually looking at that today, thinking, hey, maybe it, it's been a month or so since I put any money in these Edvest accounts. Well, why why bother with the Edvest accounts? I've got Elizabeth Warren coming. She's just going to pick up the tab for everybody. Bob in Muskegon, Michigan. Bob, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Bob. I think it's one of those things that, you know, she's looking for that vote of 18 to 35. Um, It's something I don't think will ever happen. We had a governor over here that that ran on the the topic of, let's fix our damn roads. Yeah. Because the roads in Michigan suck. And she was she was voted into office, and then right after she got into office, she said, "Well, how we're going to fix the roads? Are we're going to add a forty-five cent gasoline tax?" Right. Well, that that come out during the campaign. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that this could number one ever happen. I don't think she could ever get through get it through Congress or the House. Um, she's just looking for the vote. She needs something. She's so such a way out there type of person she doesn't really have a chance anyway so she's grasping at straw well bob maybe but but who who knows now now you're right this is designed at, I mean, but but this is this is the far left wing of the Democrat Party, and it's it's not the Joe Biden wing, but it, it's and, and it's this rush to the left. It's like, all right, we're essentially going to have the the federal government, and, and we the idea is based on the fact that you've got people who don't pay their fair share in taxes, and we need to redistribute the wealth. And won't this, to your point, you're right. Doesn't this have a great appeal? I mean, I get it. If I if I'm a 24 year old guy. And I've just gotten out of college, and I've got you know, fifty thousand dollars in debt, and I'm not able to find a job in my chosen field. Yeah, I, I understand, but would I like that debt to go away? Absolutely. But you know, what does that say about a country where you make these obligations, and then all of a sudden you're going to have the government come in and say, "Well, never mind. Well, why aren't we paying off mortgages? Why aren't we paying off car loans? Why?" And and at some point in time. Do you have to real? Do you have to say unless we are just going to 
get rid of all the wealth in this country and redistribute it, do you reach a point where you say, okay, where are we going to get this dough? And keep in mind, this is, again, it's part of, here, let's go after the wealthy. We want to charge them extra so we can do all the renewable energy stuff. And we want to go after the wealthy, and we want to have them essentially pay for the Medicare for all costs because we're going to blow up the private insurance industry, and nobody's going to have private health insurance anymore, and we're all going to be wards of the state. I mean, this is, if you say you don't think this could happen, I'm just telling you, I I don't know. If you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, no, there's no way this is going to happen. But again, it's this superficial appeal of what's in it for me. Oh, my God, I made this commitment to pay back these loans, and, and now now I've got a $50,000 student loan or I've got a $60,000 student loan, and I don't like the fact that every month I have to write out a check for $500 or $800 or $1,000 or, or whatever it, it is. I would love the government to just magically make that go away. Well, there's all sorts of things that I think I would love the government to magically make happen, but it doesn't mean it's good public policy. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 60 degrees outside. A little bit of rain coming later on. Looks like some of the stuff. I'm watching the radar. And of course, we're never supposed to. Eric Bilstadt, what was it? Paul Joseph used to always say, don't interpret the radar. But it looks like some of this stuff is kind of breaking up a little bit. Oh, huh? it sure does. Yeah, it was a long string there earlier. Now it looks like it's moving to the north a little bit. But who knows? Who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I might be. I think uh, if the weather holds, I'm thinking there might be a bike ride in my future this afternoon oh, or something maybe like nine that. nine holes or something. Well, or maybe maybe at least the driving. It was either going to be nine holes or the, the driving range, something like that. I haven't gotten out and played golf yet, but that's that's probably going to change this week if this all if this all comes together. Then a chance to watch the Bucks and listen to the Brewers. I. All right, I, I'm trying to. We, we do a lot of sports on the station now, and I, I'm trying to stay away from it. Other than I am a hardcore Brewers fan, I, and I, I, I just it is frustrating to me that I live and die with the, the team's results. But I, I've said this before, and at the risk of repeating myself, I think this is this is a Brewers team that could be special. And I know I'm not telling saying anything that David Stearns and Mark Atanasio don't understand. But you know, you, you've got some players that aren't hitting particularly well. That will come around. But the pitching on this team is a dumpster fire, and it's just—it's there's no other way to describe it. And, and look, I understand that they've only played 23 games, but that's—it's starting to get to be a decent sample. Um, they have one of the worst pitching staffs by any objective measure in in Major League Baseball. I think it's the second worst as far as like earned run average and things like that. It's the second worst staff in the National League. Uh, I think maybe 25 I saw or 26 out of 30. I mean it's. It's a dumpster fire, and one of the things that you look back in retrospect and you realize the Packers have had one Super Bowl, that the, the magic year in 2010, 2011, and they thought they could go back and they thought they could win and they thought that they could have a defense that was awful and they would get by, and it never worked out. And unfortunately, the Brewers, and again, I, I'm sure I'm not saying anything that, the, that they don't understand, but 
you know, they, they went into the season hoping for the best. It's not developing right now. The pitching staff is a dumpster fire. There's some players out there that could maybe help them. And uh, it's easy to talk about spending other people's money. But uh, this is one where you've got a chance to be special. Do you really want to blow a chance going to the World Series in the one year that you might have a chance to do it because you decided to cheap out and go with pitchers who weren't ready? 23 games into the season. All right, maybe they can turn it around. And they've had a tough start to the season, but boy, I tell you, day in, day out, you just kind of watch some of the stuff they go through, and it's just it's just not good enough, period. So, Mark Ottenazio, open the checkbook. Come on, pal. you got a lot of dough. Bring in Dallas Keuchel. Bring in Kimbrell or whatever, Craig Kimbrell. What, bring in, who, who do you want to see there? Uh, well, Gio Gonzalez, the guy that we traded for last season, late last year, um, he opted out of his clause from the New York Yankees, so he's going to be a free agent soon. So he's floating around. Or will be soon, yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm... I, right, he, he maybe he's better than you got. Right, okay, he'll be got, a lot cheaper than Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, I, I understand, but okay, cheaper isn't necessarily. He might be cheaper than Dallas Keuchel. That's not necessarily the answer. I I don't want cheap. I want somebody who can, I don't know, go out there and not give up five runs in the first three innings, so that you're trying to play catch up all the time. That's what I'm saying. And of course, the bullpen. Uh, the bullpen, it's its not what it was last year. I mean, last year you had Hader and you had Jeffress. And I was at the game the other night, and Jeffress, he, he's, his velocity is down five or six miles. He's clearly, there's something going on. Maybe he'll get that back. But right now, you can't put him in high-pressure situations because you go from pitching 96 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour, and major league hitters are going to kill you. And then you've got um, Corey Knebel, who's out for the year. It's not the same bullpen that you had before. So I don't know. Open up those checkbooks. And I, I appreciate you want to try to do different things, but my, my point is don't cheap out when you've got a chance to go to the World Series. All right. As long as we are talking about World of Sports stories, I want to revisit something that I admit stuck in my craw when we first talked about it on Friday. And Friday was Good Friday, so I know listening patterns were off, so maybe you didn't get a chance to hear my take on this. But there have been developments. Kate Smith was, in the first part of the 20th century, I I think perhaps as big a star as there was to have. Kate Smith, now this is before before TV. Kate Smith was a, a, was a singer who was, you know, at, at the dawn of radio. I mean, she she had her own shows. She was she was the megastar. I mean, think, you know, you know, figure out whoever the megastar is now. Is it is it Katy Perry? You know, who who is who's the big megastar? Is it Lady Gaga? Whatever. That was Kate Smith in the 1930s. That that's that's the best equivalent I can give. Kate Smith, her most famous song is probably "God Bless America," the 1939 Irving, Irving Berlin song, and Kate Smith. Her rendition of God Bless America was played in the middle of the seventh inning at every game at Yankee Stadium after uh, September 11th, 2001. Former Yankees owner ordered that. Kate Smith was also the good luck charm for the Philadelphia uh, Flyers hockey team. Um, They would... They would, over the years, they would play her version of God Bless America before important games, and they won a lot of them. And, and so, you know, Kate Smith was kind of like, she was sort of the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers team. What happened was, Kate Smith has now, she has been hoisted 
on the cross of political correctness. Last week, the Yankees announced that they would no longer play her recording of God Bless America in the seventh inning of the station of the, the games. The developments over the weekend is that Kate Smith, who was such a part of Philadelphia hockey, they have a statue of her outside the stadium. On Friday afternoon, the statue was covered up, and over the weekend, the statue was taken away, gone. Kate Smith has been whitewashed from Philadelphia Flyers history. Why, might you ask, did this happen? Well, because some people doing research found that in 1931, yes, 88 years ago, Kate Smith performed a song and the song this was in a this was in a film the song was called that's why darkies were born and you know I mean, of course darkies is a is a racist term for african americans now and the song has lyrics like somebody had to pick the cotton somebody had to plant the corn someone had to slave and be able to sing that's why darkies were born it went on so she sang the song in 1931 now there is a lot of controversy over this song because even in 1931 a lot of people say this was a satire designed to make fun of white supremacists. And they point to the fact that noted African-American civil rights activist and performer Paul Robeson, he recorded the song as well. So many people saw this as a satire poking fun at white supremacists. But okay, this is 1931, and the truth is nobody really knows one way or the other here in 2019. She sang that one song. In 1933, she appeared in a movie, um, and she sang another song. It was called Pickaninny Heaven, and it was a song that she sang, and it, it talked about, you know, small black children and watermelons and stuff like that. It, it's clearly, and yes, that, that song probably had racist overtones. It was, however, a very popular song, and she sang it in this movie. Because of these two songs... One in 1931 and one in 1933, Kate Smith now has become persona non grata, hoisted again on the cross of political correctness. We can't have the statue of her outside of the stadium. We can't have her recordings played at Yankee Stadium or presumably anywhere. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to admit, this is the type of stuff that makes my head explode. I, I, if if this were a song that came out in two thousand, you know, eighteen, and you could say, "Oh my, my gosh, you know, what? How could you sing a song like this?" But to say, "All right," because she performed a song in nineteen thirty one, nobody exactly knows now what exactly the intent of that song was. But because of that, we can no longer play her version of God Bless America, and we are so offended and fragile that the statue has to be taken down, we've gone through the looking glass. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to ban Kate Smith from modern society because, well, she sang this song in 1931. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And, of course, my answer is not just no, but heck no. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
414-799-1620. I, I think this effort to, uh, again, remove references to Kate, um, to re- remove these references to Kate Smith, all because she sang a song that some people might have considered racist in 1931, is absolutely ridiculous. And when are we going to say that we got to stop, we can't apply 2019 standards to something that happened that we may or may not understand it from 1930? David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, David. Thanks for taking uh, the sure. call. Uh, really quickly, the whole thing is just ridiculous because I did a little research on her. I guess she did almost 3,000 songs. So they're taking two songs and almost 3,000 songs that she did right. or sang over the years. And she did a lot of stuff for the military, you know, for the troops. Yep, she was big with the USO. Big with the USO in World War II, yep. So so we're demonizing her over two songs, over all the good that she did in her entire life. And from what I understand also with that, um, she was a heavier set woman. And she was ridiculed for being heavy and Mm -hmm. everything else. And, you know, she kind of, I guess, was groundbreaking as far as what she was doing at that time and was a huge, uh, actually a, a very popular person. Yeah. Uh, based on, you know, her uh, personality and everything else. And then, you know, to top it all off, I'll just say this, Jeff, and see what you say, but some of the songs that you hear today on the radio oh. are way worse than anything. Oh, uh, that she, oh, that she, oh that yeah. From almost 100 years ago. Yeah, David, right, exactly. I mean, how how are we going to judge this? Are we going to look back at some of the, I don't know, some of the, the rap music that comes out now where every third word is the N-word or the stuff that, you know, misogynistic in the way it talks about women and things like that? Are, are we going to look back at that stuff and say, okay, well, we, we can't honor these types of, you know, we, we can't honor the, these folks because well let let's apply you know whatever our sensibilities are now look i and you you know to your point yes kate smith very active in the USO. I mean, this is her family. It's interesting. You know, her, her surviving family members, like her, her nieces and nephews and stuff, they're appalled at this thing. They say, you know, our, our aunt wasn't a our aunt wasn't a racist. I mean, it's, you know, this is, you know, you're looking at two songs, you know, back from the early 1930s, and you're making these sorts of judgments. And, and here's where the real problem is. It, it's It's not... It's not the politically correct, perpetually offended who are searching the Internet trying to find something on anybody. It's not them. That's what gives their petty lives a little bit of meaning, trying to find that. The problem is organizations like the New York Yankees, shame on you Yankees, and Philadelphia Flyers, shame on you Philadelphia Flyers, who do not have the courage and convictions, don't have the guts to simply say, look, th- th- this woman was a part of our of our history. We don't think trying to pick, you know, one song lyric out of uh, a thousand songs or whatever is enough to say that, all right, th- this person is unworthy of being, you know, recognized. Instead of having the guts to say that and standing up to some of these, like, uh, again, you know, these virtue signalers who are sitting there saying, well, we, you know, you, this, this woman has to be a racist. I- instead of being willing to take a little bit of heat from some of the lunatic fringe 
what ends up happening is you have places like Philadelphia. Oh, we we have to give in to this. We we don't want to have somebody write write something on the internet, or we don't want to have a Facebook campaign and one of these you know online polls, and and, and we don't want to have fifteen or twenty people show up and create a demonstration because that's going to be all over the news and it's going to make us look bad. The problem is. Gutless organizations like the Philadelphia hockey team or the New York Yankees baseball team that don't have, again, the internal fortitude collectively to stand up to a handful of whiners, and so you get stories like this. And that's the real shame. And the problem is this is going to continue as long as you have institutions that don't have the guts, again, to simply say, look, you're you're a fringe group. Sorry you don't like this, but you know what? Kate Smith did great things for this team. We're looking at the body of work. It's not like she was a slave owner or anything like that, and we're not going to pick two songs out. And be careful for the people who think, well, this is what they should do. You know, do you really want at some point in time somebody going through and micromanaging your life and saying, okay, you live to be 80-some years old. Here, let's go back and find, oh, somebody says you said something when you were 17 years old, and now this is how we're going to treat you. It is a dangerous, slippery slope to go on, and it, it's fueled in part by gutless institutions that don't have the don't have these uh again guts to stand up to the virtue signalers that are out there this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wtmj we're back what's going on in germantown Here's the story. Three people arrested in Germantown last weekend. What did they get arrested for? They were found in various forms of undress. Let's see. According to the Germantown police, an intoxicated woman was found running topless on Park Avenue. Police said she went topless after being refused service at a bar. Huh. They're not going to give me any more liquor, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off my top, and I'm going to run down the street. Huh. Kind of indicates that the decision they made at the bar to not serve her any more liquor was probably a, a good one. If they had served her more liquor, Lord knows what she would say of undress she would have been in a little bit later on. Two other suspects were found walking around naked and yelling at people. They were also suspected of being intoxicated huh you think i mean you, you think maybe some alcohol was involved there investigators have not yet released the names of any of the suspects they were all charged with disorderly conduct well spring has sprung and apparently in germantown that means you go out you get yourself liquored up and then i don't know you get a jump on the season i the, the woman was probably you know she was going topless she was just probably trying to make her way to a beach somewhere or something you know i'm just saying maybe she thought she was in the south of france i can i can understand how you might confuse the south of france with germantown maybe all right on a serious note we talked a little bit about this on on friday's program and there have been there's been a, a new development since then here is the bottom line for 5 years the milwaukee police essentially had a policy of not chasing criminals that the only way that you were allowed, if you were a police officer, to chase criminals was if you had evidence to believe that it was a felony of some sort had been committed. 
And you, you couldn't chase somebody for reckless driving. So you see a car 90 miles an hour through a red light. Um, you try to pull them over. They refuse to pull over. You had to let them go. That was the policy for five years. It was an unmitigated disaster. Aldermen started complaining. I think a lot of people believed it led to a gross increase in reckless driving. What you had is a number of bad guys who got away. But the thinking that the mayor and the then police chief, Ed Plin, had was, well, the problem is, you know, when we chase, there's always the danger that an innocent civilian is going to get hit, that there's going to be a police officer that could be injured, or there could be injuries to the bad guys. The other point, which is valid, is that in Milwaukee County, the criminal justice system is a complete and total joke. No, that's not fair. To call the criminal justice system in Milwaukee County a joke is to insult jokes. And the, the police chief always used to say, hey, you know, half the time, you know, when we see the, this reckless driving and a stolen vehicle or whatever, it's a 15 or 16 year old anyway. So even if we catch them, we're going to send them over to the court system and the juvenile judges in Milwaukee County are going to have them out on the street in, you know, four, 30 minutes anyways. Why, why not just let them go? Well, of course, that attitude is sort of like the Lord of the Flies thing here. We know the, you know, we, we're just going to let the bad guys run amok. In any event, that policy has now changed. The Milwaukee cops chase. The problem is, like I say, when you chase, occasionally bad things end up happening. And we've had a couple of those stories. Matter of fact, since April 11th, there have now been three crashes involving chases. Here's the most recent one. There was one that happened last Thursday, um, costs, cost a person their life. Here's the deal, and this is the report the Milwaukee police come out with. Um, it was Saturday, 4.45 a.m., Police officers conducting a drug investigation around 40th and hour, uh, A-U-E-R, that's the street. Officers, okay, so they see it's a drug deal. They try to pull the car over. The subject refused to stop and led officers on a vehicle pursuit. The pursuit continued until the suspect traveled southbound on North 13th Street, heading for Capitol Drive, not that far from where I'm sitting right now, at a high rate of speed. The car blows the stop sign at 13th and Capitol, proceeds into the intersection, crashes into a Chevy SUV that's traveling traveling westbound on Capitol. And then, after hitting the SUV, the dope dealer loses control, slides into a vacant house on 13th and Capitol, again, right down the street from where we are. The suspect's vehicle bursts into flame and eventually starts the house on fire. Okay, the driver of the SUV, this is the one that's hit by the druggie, the drug dealer that's fleeing, was injured, conveyed for the hospital for treatment of minor injuries. The driver of the fleeing vehicle, a 27-year-old male, dead. Okay, dead. All right, so in this case, bad guy loses his life. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I believe this is the second time in three or four days that you've had people fleeing from the police who have lost their lives when they lost control of the car. There have been other stories, of course, where it's been innocent civilians, the people, you know, who are driving, who are in the intersection, and they get hit by the fleeing car, and and they end up losing their life. Is this a justification to stop chasing and to go back to the previous policy of letting people simply drive away and trying to catch them later on, and maybe you will and maybe you won't? Should the Milwaukee police rethink 
their rethought chase policy? My answer is no. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And I mean, look, here, here's the problem. I l- let's understand. I mean, that could be you. It could be you and your wife, you know, or you and your husband, and you're coming back from, you know, mass on Saturday afternoon or shopping or whatever. You could be at some intersection somewhere when you have some, you know, criminal trying to flee from the police who goes through a red light and hits you and potentially takes your life. That's that is always the possibility that's there. Is that enough of a justification to say, let the bad guys go away and hopefully you'll catch them later on? 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, 25 years ago today, April 2nd, 1994, Richard Nixon, former President Richard Nixon, passed away at the age of 81. Huh. Bringing... bringing to an end one of the most interesting, and I say interesting not in a good or bad ways, but one of the most interesting uh, political careers of, of all time. Yeah, Nixon passed away at the age of 81, 20 years after leaving the presidency in disgrace. All right, 414-799-1620. The, these chase policies, it's not surprising. People are getting hurt. The cops are chasing more. People are getting hurt. It's I, at the risk of, again, being labeled this heartless you-know-what. If you're, if you're running from the cops for whatever reason, so you did a drug deal or you're driving recklessly in a stolen car and you lose control of that car and you lose your life, that is unfortunate, but I'm not going to lose too much sleep because you're the one that made the decision to run. The tougher thing is, and this happens with all too much frequency as well. It's not the bad guy that ends up injuring themselves. It's the innocent person who gets hit because they're in literally the wrong place at the wrong time. Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. Hey. What do you think? I was telling your screener, I, I don't think they should change the policy. And just because of side note, we all got together for Easter yesterday, and one of my nieces was home from Milwaukee. She graduated from the police academy okay. this past winter, and she was in the car that... Uh, caught that kid two weeks ago and that that shot the two teenagers and right crash when they were chasing them right and and i just don't see how you don't pursue people like that i i used to go to milwaukee a lot now i dread going there mm-hmm. just because of all the stuff going on and i think anytime you you do that stuff you're handicapping or handcuffing the police and their ability to do the job well, yeah, and, and that 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 word got out. I mean, o- over the past five years, the bad guys in Milwaukee knew that the cops would just let them go. And that led to, I think that's one of the things that led to the explosion of car thefts. It doesn't matter if it's a stolen car. We're just going to drive away, and then when we get tired of it, we'll just abandon it and go steal another one. And it's, I think... You, you know, you, you got to be careful when you chase. You have to be. You have to think about it. You can't go down Wisconsin Avenue at at five o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or something. Or or you know, if there's a Bucks game, you know, you you can't have a chase right outside of Fiserv. You got to be smart about it. But I don't think you can hamstring the cops and say no, you can't chase. Well, I think the other thing too is in a lot of cases, you know, they've had people with all the reckless driving and speeding and running through intersections and red lights in Milwaukee. That yep. there's people hurt or killed doing that too. Yep. So I mean, yeah, you're at least trying to take those people off the street too. But I, I mean, you hate to be heartless, like you said. But you know, when you're when it's just the odds of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and yeah. you know, it's, it's sad that that happens. But you, 
I think overall the good is, because I think they have made a big improvement in Milwaukee with stolen cars and that, because yes. now they do chase. Yeah, and they, they, right, they, they should go, and they catch them. That, that's exactly right. And it's, it, it's, it's always tough to figure out what would have happened if we didn't do this. Um, if, if, if we watch the car driving 80 miles an hour, blowing through the red lights, and we decide we're not going to chase them, well, you know, you don't, you don't know for sure, you know, what that person's going to be doing. You don't know if three, and see, and that's the problem. Okay. If you're a police officer and you're, you're sitting running radar and you see a car, um, with no license plates and no lights on 930 at night driving 90 miles an hour that blows through a red light and they make an obscene gesture at you and, and they drive off laughing. Well, I mean, you don't know that if you let that car go three blocks down the road, that car might not blow through another red light and hit and kill somebody. So I think you have to have a policy where it's, okay, the, the default position is, yes, we're we're going to chase you. We're going to try to bring you to justice. Now, again, you can't be stupid about that. And if if continuing to chase unreasonably puts the, the lives of civilians or of law enforcement officers at risk, well, then I think you have to be willing to break off the pursuit. So you got to know what you're doing. But I, I'm telling you, I mean, I... I, I think, can I see a show of hands? Anybody who's driven around this area in the last week, my guess is you can probably have at least one, maybe a lot more instances where you're seeing cars driving in reckless fashions, weaving in and out of traffic at high rates of speed, and you're going, gosh, I wish there was a police officer trying to bring this idiot down. 414-799-1620. Tom in Franklin. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Tom. Um I, I totally agree with the same uh, uh, policy as pursuit. I just believe that the uh, the um, punishment should be a lot greater, mm-hmm. especially with the juveniles, because the yep. juveniles, like you said, know that they can get away with it. They'll be back out on the streets immediately. Yep. Um, I think in that case, if that would happen, uh, that the parents, guardians or whoever are alerted and they should be involved in it in and fine because evidently we don't hear if this ever happens what happens to the victims that their cars are are totally demolished or like in that case the house starts on fire who is responsible for that payment think of all the victims not only the deaths the injuries but property damage to all of the victims it's, it's just it's insane that this keeps on going on and nothing nothing seems well, to stop it. It, it is, Tom. And again, I, I am sympathetic to the the officers and, and how tough this is to be a police officer. And it, that that is the input it gets. Okay, you, you want us to chase these guys, put our lives at risk, put the lives of other people, you know, on the streets, you know, innocent civilians at risk to try to catch people and, and then at the same time the that we catch them, and then there's that catch and release policy. And as you say, particularly with juveniles. I mean, that's because the, the juvenile justice system in Milwaukee County is a disgrace. It is nothing short of a disgrace as far as, here, let's just turn the, these kids loose, and we'll, we'll, oh, my gosh, this is the sixth car you've stolen? Oh, here, well, you know, we'll send you back to your parents. And, and again, I, I appreciate the argument that, well, why chase them if all they're going to do is be, you know, turned out over and over again? But I guess I just think that if you don't chase or you don't initiate chases and you don't try to bring people in, all you're doing is encouraging people to continue to to run. And I do think that's what's happened over the last 
five years, you know, that, that, that the word got out about that policy. Hey, you're not supposed to be chasing. And I, I suspect that among the criminal class, there's still a bunch of people who don't, don't know that policy has in fact changed. And sometimes you hear that, you know, they, you'll see the police reports after they catch the guy, say, wait, you know, you weren't supposed to be chasing me. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a problem and it's a risk and there's not a good solution to this. And I don't want to do anything that's going to make it tougher on police and make them have to put their lives on the line any more than possible. But until we get this criminal class off the streets and, and it starts with the police making arrests and then it goes to the district attorney's office doing its job and then the court system doing their job, you're, you're not going to get a handle on this. But I, I don't know, you know, is it is it 2%, is it 3%, is it 5%? You know, my guess is it's these recurring criminals that are doing this over and over again and they need to be warehoused. But the first step is catching them. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hey, interesting you mentioned that uh, some of this word hasn't gotten out to the criminals. I kind of recall that the guy that was the officer Irving that was chasing that car, he didn't know that the uh, policy changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. My thoughts are that uh, five years of not chasing has gotten us to this uh, point that we're on in Milwaukee, and yep. I think that the uh, criminal element needs to get chased, and a no loss of life or injuries to innocence is going to happen at times, but it could happen without chasing, you know. Uh, and my thoughts are that they got to chase because get these guys off the street and get them in jail. Right. I mean, right, and catch them. And th- thanks for that. At some point in time, you know, maybe maybe the district attorney's office, maybe the court system, you know, maybe the criminal court judges will, will wake up and recognize that this is a it's a big deal. And and you don't you shouldn't have to wait until somebody blows through the intersection trying to escape the police and hits and kills some you know family on their way home from church maybe it's when they catch them driving the stolen car at 80 miles an hour maybe that's where you say all right look we got to get this person off the street because if we don't do it now you know three weeks later they can be back behind the wheel of another car blowing through a red light and this time somebody could be dead let's talk to jerry in bayview hi jerry Hi, I just want to tell you that, first of all, um, I completely agree with the previous three callers. But I, I, I do want to add that in Japan, with these chases, what their officers do is they have paint guns. And yeah, they, they shoot, shoot like paintballs at them, don't they? Yeah, Exactly. So it helps them identify the cars, and if they can't uh, go through a high-speed chase, uh, chase they, they, can, they have people calling in. They have other officers that can identify the car immediately because of the paintball. Yeah, but, it doesn't uh, help if you're driving a stolen car. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it maybe maybe it, it, maybe it helps you if it's not a stolen car or whatever, sure. Right. And what I think is that, uh, you know, people think, well, sure, there's accidents that happen and there's a loss of life or property. But the way these people drive, stealing the cars, there is that potential incredibly anyway. Oh yeah, it, right. You're right. I mean, see, that's that's the thing. They're, they're out there. They're they're committing the crimes, and you, you just. I always wonder. I mean, this true story. We could go Saturday night. I was coming back from Fran. And I were coming back from downtown. It's like nine o'clock at night, and I swear, there's. It was a pickup truck, and another car, and I'm on the freeway. I'm on I-43 driving north in Milwaukee County, and the, I'm watching these cars in my rearview mirror. 
they're, they're drag racing down down the freeway, and they're they're weaving in and out of traffic. Now it was nine nine thirty at night, and and so it, it wasn't like it was it, it wasn't like there was a lot of traffic, but there was traffic out there. It's the freeway, and these cars when they passed me, one with no lights on, they're they're, they're doing if they're. They were doing 95 if they were doing five miles an hour. And I'm just, I'm wondering, I do admit, I'm thinking, are these cars stolen? Is this a joyride? You know, what's going on here that would motivate people to do this kind of stuff? And I I am wondering what they're thinking about. And then I'm also wondering, boy, I I hope there's somebody following them because these two are, these cars are scary. Who's ever driving them? And sooner or later, you know, if this is what they're doing, it's going to end badly. And I hope. I hope I'm not going through a stoplight when they decide to blow through the red light and hit me. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. So, Melissa, how old were you when you got your driver's license? 16. Well, okay. 14 permit, 16 right. license. Yep. Okay, how close to your 16th birthday did you get your driver's license? Oh, I think... Shortly after, I don't remember the exact date, but I was really excited about that. Right. With it, I mean, so right. I mean, so it would have been within weeks. Sure, month, weeks. Yeah. Crew, how how old were you when you got your driver's license first? Your first driver's license within the the week of me turning sixteen. The week of you turning sixteen. Okay, so it was a big deal to you. Yeah, I had my permit at the six month mark and mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. You were ready to go, and Melissa, you were ready to go. Yeah, so you wanted I had a it. school permit for a couple years, and yeah, it was okay. Good. Well, I, we're we're on the same boat. Um, I um, I remember uh, my birthday is in May. It's coming up, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> I, you I forgot I, there for a second. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, You're no, like, wait. It, it's well, it's actually both. It, it, these my my wife keeps saying, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And I keep kind of, uh, and then yesterday my brother was <laughs> was over for Easter. He said, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" And I'm You're like, uh, wait, you oh. know, I, I t- haven't thought that far ahead. But but I, it it was a big deal. I remember when I turned 16. Um, you had to take driver's ed, and because my birthday was in May, they they had offered. Long story short, my parents, as a gift, maybe it was a Christmas gift or something, they had gotten me driver's ed classes at one of those private things, like an arcade driving school or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had taken all that. But but I vividly remember the morning of my 16th birthday. I got my driver's the license. The morning of. Oh, absolutely. I got my driver's license. I I passed the test the first time I took it. So I, I mean, I got my driver's license when I the day I turned 16. So, but it was that big a deal, and I still vividly, vividly remember that that first drive when you're out there, you know. And it was for me, it was a, it was like my parents' 1968 Buick LeSabre, and I'm behind <laughs> the wheel of the Buick LeSabre, and it was this incredible feeling yeah. of freedom. It I mean, is, you know, mm-hmm. it's like. Look out, world! You know, you know. <laughs> here comes Jeff. <laughs> here comes Jeff, ready or not. But it was this incredible feeling of yeah. of of freedom that was out there, and um, and so okay. But so you went through the same thing. I did, yes. Okay, got it. All right. So so Gru and Melissa and I are on the same page. Now I bring this up for for a reason, because we are becoming sort of like the the aberrations. Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Um, it, it appears that maybe the the love affair that I had, and obviously Gru and Melissa had with, with driving, it's not necessarily being shared by American teenagers now. Here is here's the deal. In 1983, they estimated that about 
half of 16-year-olds, 50% of 16-year-olds had driver's licenses. I got my driver's license before 1983. My guess it would be even more than that. But the number was about 50% in 1983. 2017, which is the last year they have numbers, so that's, you know, 30-whatever years later, um, they estimate that only about a quarter, only about 25% of 16-year-olds have driver's licenses, that there's just not the same Gee, I want to get my driver's license right away. I, I want to have this sense of freedom that's out there. And, you know, what they're trying to figure out is is why. Why is it that, again, if you are of a certain age, you want to get that driver's license as soon as possible because it's, look out, Mom and Dad, you know, I've got wheels, I'm, I'm, I'm on the road. It It's not the same anymore, at least if you measure it by the number of people who are trying to get driver's licenses right away. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I have a couple theories on this, but I, it's it's a why question, and it might lead us to some larger truths, perhaps. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do you think that so many fewer teenagers are intent on getting their driver's license just absolutely as soon as possible. What What's going on here? Is there something in society that's changing, or do you not buy the numbers? What What do you think is happening? 414-799-1620. I've got a theory. We're lining up the calls right now. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, one of the interesting things is, for, forget the 16-year-olds, even even people in their 20s, the 20 to 24, fewer have driver's licenses. Uh, numbers I'm looking at, 1983, 92% of people 20 to 24 had a driver's license. In 2017, that was down to 80%. So it, it's it's not just... You know, people turning 16 that aren't getting them, it, it's people in their 20s who are saying they have no need. And I will tell you this, this is scaring the heck out of the, the auto industry who's going, okay, if fewer and fewer people are going to be driving cars, what does that mean for us moving forward? Why do you think this is happening? Let's start with Howie in McFarland. Hi, Howie. Good afternoon, Jeff. It's a <laughs> interesting, interesting topic. It's a there's all kinds of you know possibilities that come to mind. Um, in our case, uh, our daughter was one that uh, you know got the license because she wanted a license, and there would be this ID that she would have. Okay. Uh, we we just about had to push her out into the driver's seat to just to get her to drive. And uh, okay, so she case, she we, wanted to get the driver's license, but had no interest in driving, huh? Uh, and I. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll put that. I'll, I'll put your words in a different way. Uh, that seemed to be a problem she got when she was driving. She was <laughs> not being interested, and I became, oh. a, you know, a body shop dad. You know, oh. if that's a hint. <clears throat> got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I under, oh. Understood. Um, well, how yeah. would she? How would she get around? I mean, if, how how did she manage to get around? Well, uh, that part of it was maybe on uh, at. at at somebody else's, uh, you know, expense. She had friends that had cars, uh, okay. and uh, to a lesser degree, a bike. But as work developed, uh, it was it was necessary to get behind the wheel, right? Uh, well, 
anyway. No, um, but I got it. Okay, well, thank, yeah. I get it. Thank, thanks for the call. Uh, it's it's kind of, okay, the, the insurance rates are going up. But no, that I, I, I think that's where something, I think he's leading into somewhere where we might be going with this. Um, as to why, when, when I turned 16, if... If if you were going to go hang out with your your friends, you you needed you needed to have wheels. That was the that was the freedom that you had. Now I grew up in Glendale. I grew up in the Milwaukee suburbs, but but you weren't you weren't going to ride the bus to go you know take you know go to a movie or something. You needed you needed to have the wheels to get you where you were going. You needed to borrow mom and dad's car or you know save up and get your own car. Maybe that's not as much the case anymore. 414-799-1620. Carol in Milwaukee. Hi, Carol. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, my, well, my daughter, I have kind of the same issue. My daughter didn't want to get a job, so she just turned 18. She just got her driver's license due to that fact because one of the prerequisites was having money to pay for insurance, et cetera. Okay. Side to that, I think a lot of people are waiting because once you turn 18, you do not have to take driver's education. Uh, you get a permit, you get it for a month, and then you can schedule your road test. Okay. So I drove around with her. I was her driving instructor. So they, you know. How did that work out? Some dollars. How did that work out? Um, it, it worked great. She <laughs> okay. passed her first time. Okay. Uh, she just she just got her license, you know, flip side to that. My son is 15 and working hard already for over a year because he wants wheels. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Because he's working, I paid the 350 for the driver's education. Because right. he, you know, he, he has, I guess, potential and he, he wants that. How, how did your daughter get around from age 16 to age 18 when she would go out with her friends and stuff? How would that work? How, how did she get around? They would pick her up. People okay. who had their license, they would come and get her. Um, you know, I drove her some places too. Uh, but yeah, her friends came and got her, all the ones that had licenses. So, uh, okay. And, you know, yeah, tried to push her through that from age 16 on. But flip side to that was about getting a job. Because, <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you know, mom wasn't going to pay yeah, for this stuff. Yeah. Else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when, when, when you turn, I'm just curious, when you turn 16, is that? Did you want your driver's license right away, or did you delay getting it? I also got my driver's license the day I turned sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the day. Yeah, I, I, I do. Isn't it funny? I, I do too. Just, just this, this vivid thing, and that's right. I mean, I think I had like one of the first appointments that they gave, and did the road test, and I was just so thrilled that I had gotten through it. I was able to parallel park and do all that stuff. Um, exactly. No. Exactly. I mean. But again, too, you know, I might fall through my parents, you know, tracks. And, I mean, I had a job as well, and I paid half the insurance for, you know, my dad's car. Yeah. So, no. Okay. No, thanks I for calling. Right. All that plays into fact. Yeah, it does. Okay. Thanks for calling. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Nancy and Dousman. Hi, Nancy. You're in WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Uh, what I was saying when I was back in school, I mean, this was 1964. It's a while ago. We did not have to pay for the course. Okay. Right. And now you have to pay so much money for the course. I know my grandkids, they uh, opted out until they were over 18 to get a driver's license. Okay. So it's just, you think it's, you think it's an, an expense thing, the cost of driver's right. ed and then I, a, yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Huh. Oh, well. I took my test in a 1957 Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah. There, 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 there you go. See, that's that that's kind of working. Um, 414-799-1620. I, you know, I will tell you, one of my theories on, on this is, I think part of it is, and this is one of the things with the the rise of like ride sharing and you know your lifts and your Ubers and things like that. You don't need a car as much as you you used to. I mean, I, I think this is probably one of these deals where you have more people that are just Ubering. I'm sure. I am sure that that's one of the reasons why you see this decrease in the number of, of people ages 20 to 25 who have driver's licenses because it, it's kind of this deal of, well, why, you know, there's an expense that comes with having the car because you, you've got to have the car and you've got the maintenance on the car and you have to have insurance and all. So we can just, you can just call Uber and, and boom, you, the Uber driver's there. It's going to pick you up and, and yeah. Who knows how many times you're going to use that in a given week? But yeah, you know it. It's it's fine. It's ultimately cheaper than having a car, and and I think a lot of people might miss not miss that freedom as much. And this is one of the reasons why I think again, the, these auto manufacturers they're scared as heck about these numbers because they're wondering, all right, this, the American dream always used to be the American car culture. You know, you want a house, you want the house in the suburbs, and you want the spouse, and you want the two point three kids, and you want the dog, and you want the car. And now a lot of people are saying, well, maybe I, I don't need the house in the suburbs, and I especially don't need the car. 414-799-1620, Jim in Milwaukee. Hi, Jim. Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank uh, you. What do you think? Well, i got 30 years driver ed experience. i got a few ideas on this. Jeff, okay. First of all, um, just legalize. Now we have graduated driver licensing. You didn't have that when you went to homestead job. Right. You know, kids can't start until they're later by law. So that's one of the reasons, and also the complex driving patterns and the increased volume of traffic. Kids have to be a whole lot more mature than they did. Mm. You know, I, I grew up in Sheboygan, and driving there was a whole lot easier than it is driving in Milwaukee. But right. So do you, do you think it's hand, do you think it's scaring off? So if I understand what you're saying, do you think it's it's like scaring off some 16 year olds that they just yeah, traffic's so complex and there's so many cars and people drive like maniacs that they don't want to get their licenses. Well, I think it's parents realizing that they want to keep their kid alive, and so you have to have a lot more socially mature kid behind the wheel of the car okay. than when we drove because there just wasn't the volume and the speeds that kids go, Yeah. not to mention the exorbitant cost. I mean, what are you paying now to just drive your car? It's far more, I think, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. cumbersome to just get behind the wheel of the car and get in and make it go. You know, it costs too much. Kids but, have to make a lot of money if you drive a car, so like you said. You know, getting alternative um, ways to move around right. is probably a lot more feasible than getting a car and they got to wait later in license. Yeah, and, and it, right. Yeah. And so, I mean, so if you want to, if all you need is the the one the one buddy with the car that can go pick everybody else and take everybody to the movie on Friday night or something like that. Not everybody needs yeah. their own car. Exactly. Hmm, interesting. I mean, it, again, it, it it could be uh, Paul in West Dallas. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Paul. Just a couple of thoughts, kind of reiterating what some people have said, but I think one is that less and less kids are working. I think, you know, we have such a great economy that people, you know, kids aren't feeling the pressure to need to work a job. Right. So I think that would be one thing. And then secondly, I think you have um, parents who just don't trust their kids. I mean, let's just be honest. If 
most 16-year-olds didn't grow up on a farm, you know, driving tractors at the age of 12 and having that awareness of vehicles. Now they're playing, you know, video games, driving cars off buildings, whatever. <laughs> right. And so I think that, you know, parents see their kids and they think, well, they're just not quite ready at 16 to get behind the a vehicle, you know. Yeah. yeah, and they're not in a hurry. And, and thanks to call. I think, I mean, I think there's all sorts of things that are going on. That's why I find this to be such a cultural issue. I think... And again, we're talking in generalities here, but when you look at the number of 16-year-olds, that's a pretty huge drop. If in 1983 it was one out of every two, and now it's down to one out of every four, that's a huge drop. So there is a sea change that's kind of going on. I think a number of people touched. I guess I I think, first of all, maybe there's not as great a desire for, for the freedom that you had when you know, that a lot of us had when we were first able to be 16. You know, you, you don't mind... You know, your your sibling taking you or your friend taking you or, you know, mom and dad dropping you off somewhere. You do have the, the lifts and the Ubers and all these types of things. And I think, you know, as some of the millennials or the Gen Zers or whatever, it, if you move into some of these urban areas, I think particularly in some of the big cities, people decide we really don't need a car. I mean, I have... Uh, a very good friend of mine, his brother, lives in New York City. They haven't owned a car in 35 years because you can't afford it. It just for the times, if you want to, if you want to use it, you want to go out to the country, you you rent a car for a day. But otherwise, just to store the car, just to park the car, you know, costs you more than most people pay in rent around here. For example, it's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. I I feel like I should offer a commentary on this, the the, the bombings in Sri Lanka, which is an island country, twenty one million people. It's it's the the islands in the in the Indian Ocean, um, but just just a horrible story. If you haven't been following this, they estimate that two hundred ninety people ballpark are dead and another five hundred or so injured. There were it was a coordinated attack by an Islamic terrorist organization. There you can, you you can say it. In this case, these were a radical Islamists, and it's not an indictment of all of Islam, but it does indicate that there there are these factions out there that are motivated by this weird religious ideology that decides that we're going to go out and you know we're going to kill people. It was uh, they they think right now that this this group that was responsible for this had coordinated their efforts perhaps with you know other more widely known islamic terrorist organizations but the bottom line is it was uh, seven suicide bombings um suicide bombers showing up at christian churches and at tourist hotels on eastern sunday and these all happened you know essentially within a few minutes of each other they were relatively sophisticated and um just absolutely devastating now people are trying to figure out you know what what happened 26 people have thus far been arrested and some of the reports are that um india and us and the us had, had warned sri lanka weeks before the easter terror attacks that something might be up but i i guess you all sort that out but it's it, it demonstrates again the problem that you have when you have the these terrorists who are willing to kill themselves i mean you know when you got suicide bombers the reality is there's only 
there's only so much that you are going to be able to do, and it demonstrates once again the the vulnerability that you know we we in fact have, and it's a horrible horrible situation that uh, you would have an attack clearly planned intentionally for you know Easter Sunday to try to get maximum attention, and it's just. There, it just demonstrates that there are evil people in this world who have these twisted interpretations of religion to believe that, I don't know, that the, the road to heaven is paved by strapping on explosives and trying to kill as many Christians as you possibly can. Just very, very scary. All right. I knew early on, much to my dismay, that I was not going to be a professional baseball player. I just knew that. I I probably I knew that I think when I was playing little league baseball in second grade and the left-handed pitcher buzzed one up around the tower and I just thought eh, I don't think I don't think I won't be able to do that and then I, I found out probably about in fifth grade or so that I wasn't going to be a professional basketball player because well I I just wasn't and and I think I knew all along that I wasn't going to be a professional football player so it's just I, I never really had that dream and I think my parents knew that. I was not going to be a professional athlete, so they did not pursue that dream. Many parents, though, apparently think that their kid is going to be the next Giannis or the next Christian Yelich or the next Aaron Rodgers, and they refuse to, I don't know, consider that they might be misguided, and that's what we're going to talk about next. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today that talks about the rise of club sports. Now, one of the things that's really evolved over the last couple decades is you have you have your, your high school sport track, and then you have the club sport track. So let's say you play girls volleyball, your, your high school girl. You play girls volleyball. That season is in the fall. Well, then, all right, as soon as that season ends, you start the club season and then you're on the teams and you travel around and so you play volleyball on the club level from i don't know december through june july august whatever that might be so you're really competing in the sport year-round part of the season is on the um, high school team and part of it is on the the team is the, the club team after that now that's for high school kids but you know you have a lot of people and and maybe your child was one of them that they're if they're they're playing club level soccer and they're they're starting when they're 10 years old or 11 years old well here's where i think this is interesting the the, there's there's a survey that just came out of of youth sports because if you're putting your kid into you know this club level thing these youth sports it's a pretty pricey operation. And so what the survey did is it went to the kids, it went to the parents of the kids who, whether it's youth hockey or, or youth baseball or volleyball or whatever, and the survey said, okay, what do you think's going to happen with your kid? What do you think's going to happen? Do you, do you think your child has a chance of getting a college scholarship? All right, your kid is a volleyball player. Do you think your kid has a chance of getting a scholarship? The estimate, and this is what the survey said, 40% of parents, four out of every 10 parents whose kids were involved in one of these club-level sports, all right, 40% said that they felt confident that their child would get an athletic scholarship. Four out of 10. Um they also said that they were willing to cut back on spending 
go into credit card debt, delay retirement, all to fund their child's sport. Because 40% believe that their kid is going to get a college scholarship. Drew, would you like to guess, of of high school athletes, of high school athletes, would you like to guess what percentage of high school athletes go on to get a college scholarship? It's got to be small. Something uh, five to ten percent. Two percent. Very small. Two percent. Two percent of high school athletes get receive college scholarships in their sport, and that, by the way, includes both. Both the kids who get the full ride scholarships, hey, you know, the kid's going to go play, you know, football at UW Madison, and it also includes um, athletes who who get just a couple thousand dollars to put towards tuition, housing, and other expenses. So you have the reality: two percent of high school athletes versus the parents who are driving their kids all over God's creation, going into credit card debt borrowing from their retirement accounts, all to travel around with these club sports teams, because at least four out of every ten seem to think my kid is going to be the next Michael Jordan or Aaron Rodgers or whatever, despite the fact that the numbers just don't say that. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I would like to discuss with you. Are, Are we too obsessed with with these youth sports, and I mean, I'm, I want to talk about again. I don't want to single out basketball or hockey or baseball or football or volleyball or wrestling or tennis or any of these things. I mean, have the parents become too obsessed with this to the point of again maybe having unrealistic expectations that you've created for for the kids and putting pressure perhaps on the kids. To, to channel efforts into, well, okay, I mean, look, it's great if you want to play volleyball, but the truth of the matter is your chances of getting that volleyball scholarship to UW slim to none, not saying it can't happen. You know, we talked about some gal who's in eighth grade last week or two weeks ago um, who who's already being recruited and accepted a scholarship. But for every one girl like that, my guess is there's 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 who – aren't going to do that. 414-799-1620. As you might expect, I've got some theories we're discussing in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. According to the story I'm looking to in the Wall, at the Wall Street Journal, volleyball, club level, because a lot, a lot there's a lot of travel involved, the parents can spend around eight grand a year for one kid you own club level volleyball with the travel. So the story also talks about this 11 year old kid who plays tennis. The parents, they got into the whole club level tennis and the instructions and stuff like that. What they found is that they dropped 10 grand, 10 grand the first year. Then they started doing the math. This is for an 11 year old saying, well, you know, given the odds that he's going to get a tennis scholarship, we would be so much better off just taking that 10 grand a year and putting it away for, for a college fund for him. Let's start with Adrian in Menominee Falls. Adrian, hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Sure. What do you think? Well, I was calling because I'm on the side of, I have a child who played baseball for a number of years, and he's 12 now, and he's never done club level, but just done Little League. Right. And this is this is the first year he said, I'm not playing, and I was really upset because I played all through my career, and he's like, I'm like, well, why don't you want to play? He's like, the kids that play year-round are just so much better than me. 
Yeah. And so I, I feel like it's kind of ruined Little League and ruined that for the kids who, like, I want to do baseball during baseball season and I want to do football during football season and I want to do basketball during basketball season. But now the age there, the skill gap is getting so great. Right, and and they have, you know, it's interesting you make that point, Adrian, and they have to decide early on because it, it, like you say, it's a year-round sort of thing. So like in your case, if you want to play baseball, you just can't play baseball during the summer or the spring or whatever. You've got to commit. You've got to be playing the year-round type of thing. The example I was giving earlier, volleyball. All right, you, you know that the schools are in the fall and then everything else is the rest of the year. If you want to play basketball and you want to you know do do track or something you can't do that you don't have enough time so you have to commit early and i don't think that's good necessarily i can see it for the older kids like high school but at this age you know 9 10 11 12 like they should be allowed to do a lot of different sports and still try to figure out what they want to do Right. I feel like at this age, they're not sure. For, they're not for sure this is what they want to commit to. No, but they almost have to because, to your right. point, if you if you don't get that year round instruction, they're just they're you're, you're in your case, you're talking about your son gets left behind because he's not playing right. year round. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm, I I believe I, I've I've seen that up close and personal. This decision that you have to decide early on. Let's talk to Gene in Milwaukee. Hi, Gene. You're on WTMJ. Uh, yes, kind of the same type of thing. Uh, both my daughters wanted to play at the high school level. So in grade school, it was you either get on a club team or you're not even going to make the high school team. Yes, yes. So that is what drove us to, you know, to get them both involved in club sports because otherwise we would not have pursued that. Right, so for example, if, if, if you're... Your daughters, you want to thought they might want to play volleyball in high school. If they just went and tried out for the team, they weren't going to make it. You know, they needed they needed that run up. They needed to be playing club level volleyball for a couple of years before that. Yes, and it's really I think it's a shame that it has come to that. Mm-hmm. I really I always liked it better like when I was in school uh, dating myself. <laughs> if you wanted to play two or three different sports during the year, you did. That was just what you did. Right. And now they can't do that anymore, and I think it is really a shame. Right, and then you, you couple that with the fact that some of the parents, and I see this because I go to youth games, I mean, some of the parents are so very, very intense, and I, I think part of it is because everybody thinks that their kid is going to be the next Michael Jordan or, or, or whatever, and, and you just kind of want to say, okay, the, the number 2%, 2% of all the high school athletes get scholarships. I mean, the, the reality is, you know, your your eighth-grade daughter might be, you know, a, a really good volleyball player, but the odds that she's going to get a volleyball scholarship, it, so it, it's not good. So dial it back a little bit or whatever. Oh, no, I definitely agree with that. Most of the parents I felt, myself included, knew that this was not new from the get-go, that this was not to get them a college scholarship. Right. It was just so they could play what they wanted to play in high school. Right. And, and I mean, I'm not looking, I'm not knocking the club sports other than it's expensive. But, I mean, I understand you, you do this with your friends. If, you're, if your friends decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to play basketball and it's something that we're going to do together for as long as we can. And, and, I mean, I understand that the travel is something the parents get the, they bond together and maybe they have fun and stuff. And if you, if, if you don't mind spending eight grand or ten grand or however much a year it is to do that, you know, God bless you, as long as you don't think that this is going to be the, the key to get my kid into college for a free ride. Right. 
And the other thing that I found interesting is that I was reading an article in, I think it was Time Magazine, about physical injuries. Mm-hmm. That they were that they were seeing more injuries sure. in younger people who played the same sport year round. Sure, because they were doing repetitive things sure. that people that do different sports in the same school year weren't getting those types of injuries because you're utilizing different sure. muscles or yeah, no, it may- more well rounded. And they were saying that's scary. Uh, one of my daughter's friends had had two back surgeries when she was in high school. Yeah. No, I mean, I get, no, thanks, no, thanks to call. I mean, no, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, if you're, if you're a baseball pitcher and you spend the whole year doing that, you know, the repetitive throwing, you know, with your shoulder, you're putting strain on, on your shoulder muscles and, um, versus, or basketball, if you're playing year round, I mean, you're going to put strain on your knees. Let's talk to Andy in Waukesha. Hi, Andy. Hi. What do you think? Well, I, Jean pretty much said everything I was going to say. <laughs> we, I, I want my child to be part of the team. I played a couple sports in high school. I wanted him to have that experience. He's eight. Um, our community that we live in does not have a little league at all. There's either rec or club. Right. Two different club teams where we live. There is no little league. And so if he wants to play baseball in summer, it was club or nothing. Right. And I just felt it was important for him to go through his high school career and be part of a team. Okay, so you're, you, you've started your eighth grade, your eight year old in, in club baseball because five or six years from now you figure that's the only way he's got any chance of making the high school team. Yes. Hmm. In addition, like I said, we don't have a little league in right. our community. It's, it's club or you don't play. Right, right. What if ultimately, okay, is, is your is your son going to be experienced maybe to other sports or stuff? Maybe he'll if, if he likes football better or volleyball or something like that. Will he even will he even have a chance to be exposed to that or soccer, for example? Well, he actually loves playing football. He also loves playing basketball. Right. In the summer he goes to lots of camps for basketball okay. and a couple for football and. We did play indoor football league last year. Okay. And I think sometimes if you're a good enough athlete, you can play all the sports. Right. Just because you have that kind of athletic ability. Yeah. I don't know if he, I don't know <laughs> if he does. Right. It just, I mean, I'm not looking for a college scholarship. Okay. I, I, I was going to say, is, 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 is this the next Chris? Is your, is, is your son the next Christian Yelich? Are we going to be talking to you 15 years from now when he's hitting home runs at Miller Park? I would highly doubt it. <laughs> well, you never know. Thanks for the call. Interesting story. It's in today's Wall Street Journal. I guess that my, my big takeaway from this is if it's something you want to do with your kids, go with God. I think that that's great. The problem is a lot of parents do it because they think it's going to be a ticket to to a free ride at college. And that's the, the numbers just say no. The numbers say, hey, Jeff, go buy that lottery ticket and maybe you'll be a multimillionaire. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner.